is the resurrection of Jesus. It's the thing that changed everything. And I, I love the story how it went from a point of utter despair and things looking completely, ble- completely bleak and hopeless to everything changed. And when God raised Jesus from the dead, it brought life, not only to Jesus, but to everyone who would believe in him. And all the stuff in the world, all the brokenness of sin, of sickness, of death, injustice, all of that was overcome through the resurrection of Jesus. And we live in it, and I remember being in college, I took a Western Civ class, and it was kind of the debunking Christianity class. It was all about like proving that you shouldn't really trust the Bible, and Christianity is evil, and all this stuff. But I remember when we came to the place in in human history, in the history of civilization, talking about the birth of Christianity. In my Western Civilization textbook, which had been trying to discredit Christianity from, from the beginning and continue to do that, but there was a page where they devoted it to, basically it said, hey, but then this event happened, and Christianity was birthed, and it was all based upon the resurrection of this man, Jesus of Nazareth. And something happened. Like they said, we can't, basically, we can't deny that the resurrection happened. Because this movement is the greatest movement in history. It's changed culture and civilization unlike anything else. It totally tra- turned the world upside down. And these are just very ordinary people. But they were so convinced that they had seen the resurrected Jesus. And there were hundreds of them who had eyewitnesses of this, that this incredible movement started. And that is what our hope is in. We're not here just based upon, Christianity is not a moral, just about morals or try to be good, but it's the power of God coming into our life and the brokenness of our lives and changing things. And so we're talking about how we can experience Easter up close and personal. And I love that story because for a lot of reasons, we're going to get into it, but we're looking at the encounters of, of Mary and Mary Magdalene and Jane, or John and Peter some of the first people who encountered the resurrected Jesus after he'd been resurrected. And what's interesting to me is that Easter morning didn't feel like Easter morning. Right? Like, here it is, the most glorious day in history, the day of victory and joy and transformation. Like, in reality, the whole economy of the universe had changed. And it went from a place of of us having to be under sin to where we could be over sin, and where life was conquering death. And the most glorious day in history, but in the experience of the followers of Jesus, it didn't feel like that. And you may be here this morning going, you know, it doesn't feel like Easter morning to me. And that's okay, because this isn't based on our feelings. But God is greater than that, and we have to look at what's real, how I'm feeling, or what is true. And so we're going to look at this story, because... It's not just by happenstance that the accounts in the Bible are about Mary and Peter and John. They are there for a reason because there's something about them and the way they encountered Jesus and the way they experienced his new life. That there, there are attitudes that they had and the way they approached him that helped them experience that. And as we have the same attitudes, the same heart, we can experience it too. So that's what I want, man. I, I, love, I, want, I love experiencing that. I want to experience it more and more. So, how can we experience that? Three things that they had we're going to talk about this morning. The first thing that we see in Mary and Peter and John is they had an eager heart. There was something in them that was, that was eager, and even a better word, I think, would be yearning. 
They had a yearning heart towards, towards the Lord, towards God, towards Jesus. They were you know, in this place of dark disappointment, discouragement. Jesus had just died. All their hopes and dreams had been dashed. But they were still drawn towards God and drawn towards Him. And you see this account that Mary and there were other women with her. It says that early in the morning they went to the tomb. And most of us, we don't get up early by choice unless there's something we're excited about, right? Remember my, my dad and my grandmother were here this morning. We're celebrating Easter together. I remember when I was a little kid, one day, I was really little, my dad said, my dad doesn't like to fish very much. And he passed that on to me. I don't like to fish very much either. My 18-year-old son, Kate, told me the other day, hey, we should fish more. And I'm like, oh, I guess I let you down because <laughs> you're going to have to find somebody else to help pull that out of you because it's not me. But I remember one day I was probably six or seven, my dad said, hey, we're going to get up early tomorrow morning and go fishing. And I hadn't been disappointed by fishing yet in my life at that point. And so I was excited. <laughs> and I remember he, like, I don't know if it was like 5 o'clock. It felt like it was like 5 o'clock in the morning. He like, came in my room and said, Jonathan, it's time to go fishing. And I was up immediately, you know, and out there and excited. And I still remember that whole day. And I remember the one fish we caught on the, the last cast of the day. <laughs> Actually, it was, it was, I could go on and on. But it was because I was eager, getting up wasn't a challenge. And that was how Mary was. There was, because of her love for the Lord, she was like, man, we, I need to go to that tomb first as soon as I can. First moment possible. And actually, it wasn't even rational because the other Gospels tell us that the Romans, the most powerful empire in the world, had put this massive stone in front of the tomb and then sealed it so that nobody could open it. And Mary goes to the tomb with some spices to anoint the body, but knowing there's, there's been this, this, this rock placed and the Romans have sealed it, so they're wanting to anoint the body, but they, they don't know how it could possibly happen. But there's a yearning in their heart that even supersedes reason and rationale. It's like, hey, I, I don't know, but there's something drawing me that I just, I got, I got to get close. I got to do what I can. Yesterday, my friend Mason and I, we went out to City Park in the afternoon. And we were just talking to people. We were just talk, going up to random strangers we didn't know. And asking them two, we said, hey, we're doing this little Easter survey. We're talking to people about two questions. Can we talk to you? And, you know, it's a little unusual to most people to have that conversation. But we had several really interesting conversations. And it was interesting. There was kind of the spectrum. There, were, there was one guy who said, two, our questions were this. One, we said, what leads to the most fulfillment in life? What do you think? One factor causes people to be the most fulfilled or to experience the most fulfilling life. And so we heard different answers, um, a lot about relationships, connection. Um, and then we asked after that, we said, okay, well, Easter is really about the idea that a relationship with God is what brings us the fulfilling life that we're looking for. What do you think about that? And so we asked people, and there was the whole range. There was one guy, he was like, before we even asked him, when we asked him what, what leads to a fulfilling life, he said, Christ. And a relationship with him. And we're like, okay, that's awesome. And he was excited about it, and it kind of ruined our survey because we couldn't ask the second <laughs> question. But that was all right. We, you know, it was, it was good. And then there were people, like, there were a number of people that were kind of, like, open. They were like, you know, yeah, I, I'm kind of interested in that. I'd like to learn more. And I'm actually on this journey. You know, I've, I was here in my faith, and now I'm here. And there was this, this level, of, level of, of, of yearning. And then there were a couple people that were, just kind of like, 
I don't want, you know, no, I don't want to think about that. And so this whole level, and you could see in people's lives, like the level of fulfillment and the life of God that they were experiencing had everything to do with how eager they were, how hungry they were to, to draw near to God. And so I know that's, that's true for us. The, I heard once someone said that we can experience as much of God as we want. And actually right now, you and I are experiencing exactly as much of God as we want. That's, that's pretty much how it works. Like we, He is the rewarder of those who earnestly seek Him. And He is there and available, has everything. He wants to give us everything, but there's this connection, this correlation with our, our earnestness, our yearning, our, our eagerness. And we, we, we experience it that way. Peter and John, same thing. Like I, they, Mary came to them and they, they ran to the tomb. There was this like, they didn't even know what was going on. They were kind of dazed and confused and don't know what's happening, but there's still this, this yearning like, man, whatever is someone stole the body or whatever happened, we want to be there and we want to do something about it. We want to be involved with, even if it's just his body, we want to, we want to be there. And so the people who had that attitude are the ones who ended up experiencing his life the most. And I know there are a bunch of eager people here this morning. That's why you're here. And so we're, we're in the right place. You're in the right place. And God's, God's meeting us there. So the first thing that brings us this new life is this uh, yearning heart, an eager heart. The second thing is a paradigm shift. Now, the story is really interesting for a lot of reasons, but I think it's, it always fascinates me that Mary sees the angel, she sees the empty tomb, she comes out, and then she sees Jesus. She sees the resurrected Jesus standing there in close proximity but she doesn't recognize him. And that's pretty understandable, right? Have you ever um, seen someone in a different place that you didn't, you, didn't, you didn't expect to see them? Recently, I pulled into the parking lot of AutoZone, and I saw this guy walk in the door. And I was like, that looks like my friend Matt Watson, kind of, but he doesn't live here anymore. He lives four and a half hours away. And I thought, no, did that... That didn't, no, that wasn't really him. No, that wasn't really him. So I find out, going, oh, it was him. But because he was in a different place where I expected him, I, I didn't recognize him. And a lot of times, that's how it was with, with Jesus, like with Mary. There, she saw him, but she knew he was dead. And so it just kind of didn't compute that this was him. And a lot of times, Jesus comes to us like that in the same way. Like, we have a certain image of what Jesus is like. Certain way he looks like, certain way he treats us, certain way he interacts with us, certain way he leads us. And he comes to us in a way that is different than what we expect. And it's easy for us to miss him because of that. There are, you know, I, I think about the ways Jesus has come to me. Some, one of the ways he's come to me the most is through people. And the people that Jesus has worked through oftentimes in my life are people very different than me? And people are very different from my image of Jesus, too, actually. Like, if everybody acted like my image of Jesus, I'd be good. But these are people that are, you know, and, and really my image of Jesus, if I think about it, you know, that personality is kind of a lot like my personality. So, you know, I want people like to be like that. And so people that are really different, like, well, you know, that's, you got issues. But a lot of times, those issues are the issues I need. And Jesus is working in those people to work in my life. Or I think about the circumstances in my life where God has shown up so much. I think about 
We've had, we've had two daughters now that have gone through pretty, you know, for us, challenging health issues. And I would have, you know, those were, those were tough things. But, you know, we have experienced God in, those, in walking through this process in ways we never had before. Jesus has been in those situations. And we could go on and on and on. So a lot of times we think, okay, Jesus, you need to be like this. And, or even, you've been like this in the past with me. You know, Mary knew what Jesus had, was like. But actually, this was like, forgive me, don't, don't, don't stone me, but kind of like Jesus knew and improved. Like this is the Jesus she knew. I mean, he, that's not really true. He was fully God. But as a man, he was in a glorified body. He was in a resurrected body. This was, he was coming into something more in his human existence. And so there was something different than what she had experienced of Jesus before. And it was easy to miss him. There were other, she wasn't the only one. It seems that his appearance had even changed. From, from before. And so, a lot of times Jesus comes to us like that. And we think like, hey, if you're, if you're really like, you know, Jesus was this glorified body, he could like show up in rooms and appear and disappear and all this crazy stuff, but he didn't look like an Avenger or something. It wasn't like, you know, superhero body and suit and it's like, oh yeah, that's the resurrected Messiah right there. No. What did Mary think he was? She thought he was the gardener. Like, there's nothing more earthy than a gardener. Like, you know, I hear he's just a normal dude in the garden. That's what he looked like. But it was the resurrected Jesus, actually. And so it was, there had to be a paradigm shift. And we have to have a paradigm shift. A lot of times we may have an image of Jesus that is a certain way. And it's part of Jesus. But you know what? None of our vision of Jesus is a full picture of who he is. It's kind of like this. I, um, uh, it's a bad joke. I won't tell that joke. Should I? You don't even know what I'm going to tell. You're still saying no. Now I really want to tell it. All right. I'll trust your judgment. <clears throat> Where was I? Now I lost my train of thought. So. It seems so, there's, there's more of Jesus than what we've experienced. And that's what, what religion does, is it takes truths about God, past experiences of God, past ways God has worked, and says, that's who God is, this is the way he works, he works through this form, this kind of church service, this kind of music, that we have to act like this. And it kind of builds this this world, this religious system around those past experiences. But the problem with that is God can't be limited by those religious systems. There's always more of him. And they can be all sorts of things. They can be the most like traditional religion you can think of, or they can be the most out there, charismatic religious expression you can think of. They can still become religious systems that we live in and think like, this is how God acts. And it limits us from seeing what God is actually doing. So God wants to bring us into, there's a paradigm shift where he wants to show us, no, there's more of me than what you've experienced before. Um, You know, often the emotion, you think about Mary, like the emotion she was in made it really hard for her to see that God had resurrected Jesus and he was right there in front of her, bringing her into everything she wanted. The fullness of life, the fullness of experience, the fullness of relationship with God, he was right there. But her emotional state made it really hard for her to realize that. 
because she was distraught. She was mourning. She got, Jesus had just died. She knew that. So the same is true for us. That our emotions can very much keep us from seeing the good things that God is doing, where he's showing up in our lives. And, and what changed that? What brought about the paradigm shift is really the third thing we're looking at here. That's a personal encounter. Mary had a personal encounter with Jesus, and that's what opened her eyes. That's what changed everything. James and John and Peter, the rest of the disciples, when Jesus showed up in that room and said, peace be with you, and breathed on them, and they received the Holy Spirit, that changed things. They went from being afraid and locked up for fear of the Jews to realizing, oh, Jesus, this is you, and great joy filled their hearts because they had a personal encounter with God. And that's what's often lacking. That's what's often lacking in Christianity. Like, we can live a Christian life and follow the rules and have the morals, but until we have a personal encounter, it's empty. It's not the fullness of life that God wants for us. And I love the way, the way Jesus helped bring Mary into that personal encounter. You know, the, the way he, he looked at her and he said her name, Mary. And like the song we sang, right? God says your name. Jesus says your name to you. No one else knows your name like that. No one else says it like that. No one else can connect with you in the way that God can. And God wants us to, to have personal encounters like that. He wants our, our life to... Christianity is not based on emotion, like I said a minute ago. But if, if our Christian life isn't... If, personal encounters with God are not a normal part of our Christian experience, then that's not a normal, that's not what a Christian experience is supposed to be like. There is a real personal interaction that God invites us to come into. And so that's what, that's what Jesus was bringing his disciples into. That's what he's bringing us into. I love in, in verse 17, he said, hey, I am going to my Father and your Father, to my God, and your God. There was, what Jesus did was making the relationship that he had with the Father available to all of us. It was not just my God, my Father, now it's your God, your Father. There's this personal connection, this personal relationship. And, you know, the, out of that, the, both of the, the uh, Mary and then the other disciples, their hearts, when, when they had that encounter, their hearts were overjoyed. They, it brought joy and life and fulfillment to them. And that's what, that's what God offers to us and brings us into. Um, all right. So, man, that's basically what I got for us today. The life of God is available. It's good. He's brought it in Jesus. He's, he's brought it, made it close to us in Jesus. But we can experience it to the degree we want it, to the degree that we're eager for him, that we're yearning for him. To the degree that we're able to navigate those paradigm shifts that we have to go through. Maybe this morning God is wanting to speak to you and say, you know, this, there's a certain paradigm, there's a certain way of looking at reality that you have that has kept you from seeing me more fully. I want to I remove that. Maybe it's a religious paradigm shift. Maybe it's anxiety and fear. Maybe it's um, unbelief towards God that he can show up in your life. Maybe it's thinking that, no, I, I really need to find su- success through my accomplishments. And that's keeping you from experiencing the fullness of life where God says, no, 
That's not going to fulfill you. It's not through your success or your career or anything like that. It's through a relationship with me. Maybe the paradigm is, hey, I'm trying to find fulfillment through what other people think about me. But the paradigm shift is, no, that will not bring fulfillment. It's not the approval of others, but it's the approval of God. And he's brought that about to everybody who trusts in him and who receives his forgiveness through what he did on the cross and the life he brings to the resurrection. So, that's what God brings us into. I just want to read one more scripture. Um, John, later on in this chapter, John, John, uh, John 20, verse 30, it says this. It says, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Hey, John's saying, I wrote this book. I wrote the stories we just read. This is to show you that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Son of God. He's the one who brings life in his name. But it's through, there's the way that we enter in, and it's this thing of believing. It's through believing that we find life in his name. And that doesn't, that's true whether we've never believed in God before or whether we've been believing God for a while. We experience life by putting our trust in Him, by saying, God, I believe you, you sent your Son Jesus to be the Savior of the world. He brings me life. I'm trusting in Him. I'm not, you're the one, I'm, I'm turning away from my sins and my own life and trusting you. And as I believe in you, I find life. And that's true, like I said, whether you've never done that before or whether you've been living that for a while, we can come into that personal encounter and everything that God has for us as we believe in Him. So I, I want to pray. Um, just ask God to help us to experience that more fully. Lord, just, I thank you, Lord, that you, you come to us. Thank you that you came into our world. You came near to us. Thank you for overcoming our sin, our anxiety, our fear, our situations. Lord, thank you for bringing your life to us. God, this morning, we, we trust you to bring your life to us in more full ways than we've ever experienced and in the very ways that we need you to bring them right now. Lord, help us to have eager hearts. Lord, help us to, to, to have our eyes open to more of you. Lord, and would you lead us into personal encounters with you in the very places we need. God, we thank you for this. We trust you for this. In Jesus' name.